Uh, how was your week? Excellent? Difficult? I woke up this morning excited about coming to church this morning, took a sip of coffee and poured it on myself. <laughs> so uh, I changed my shirt, don't worry. Um, but that kind of is a picture of what sometimes happens during the Christmas season. It's this mixture of joy and stress. I saw this uh, last weekend as uh, members of our church family, you know, during the Christmas special, they were, they were celebrating the coming of Jesus, full of joy, but at the same time, uh, facing uh, personal loss, the loss of loved ones, illness, uh, financial difficulties. And so the season is a, a time of great joy, but often there is also some unsettling stress that resides in our souls, right? We'll go to family gatherings over the next few days, and sometimes those gatherings can be a mixture of joy and stress. Christmas, it brings back to our minds uh, Christmas carols and chocolate and uh, the, the giving of gifts, hopefully the receiving of gifts, and uh, also turkey dinners. But again, it sometimes reminds us of our personal brokenness, of the lack of peace on earth. If we go back 2,000 years, uh, you know, when, when Jesus was born, uh, the situation was not that different, actually. As you read through the gospel accounts, there's, there's just this strange mix of stress and joy. What do we mean by stress? Stress is that, that mental or emotional state that comes from an adverse circumstance or a very demanding circumstance. For example, the worries that keep us up at 3 a.m., and uh, block our concentration, rob us of our sleep. The um, unexpected experience of the loss of a loved one or a diagnosis or job loss. Sometimes being in a new land can be very demanding. You're trying to figure out a new culture, learn a new language. All of that generates stress. And studies show that people usually face stress in one of three ways. One way to face stress is to just change the situation. So you try to change the situation by changing a bad habit. Or you stop mon uh, spending more money than you have. But what do you do if you can't change the situation? Well then, some people try to manage their emotions, and so they'll suppress their feelings, try to say no to those anxious thoughts. They'll deny that they're angry. That's not a very helpful way to deal with stress. It's very ineffective and usually just internalizes the pain. There's a third way to deal with stress, and that is to change the meaning of the situation. And as we look at the text today, we'll find that the meaning of the situation is being changed. It's a great, great case study on how to deal with stress. Let's pray before we read the word. So, Father, we do thank you that you are present by your Spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are present to teach us as you taught your first disciples. This is your word. It's living and active. And we pray that our hearts and minds would be open to receive, Lord, what you have for us today, that we would receive it and apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph 
being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. If you just look at that word birth in verse 18, it's the same word that appears in verse 1. There it's translated as genealogy. The word means genesis, origins. And so what we read here, this story is tied back into the genealogy. The surprise in this account is that Mary is found to be with child before they come together, before Mary and Joseph have sexual relations. If you've read Luke's account, you know that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary said that she would have a child. Then she went and spent time with Elizabeth, her relative. She spent three months with Elizabeth. So the account that we're reading this morning, it's probably when Mary is about four months pregnant. She is showing. Matthew, he allows for the messiness, the stress, the, the tension in the story. Now, if, if Joseph is just engaged to Mary and, and she's pregnant, why does he have to divorce her? Why doesn't he just walk away? Well, we need to know something about first, first century Jewish marriage. Usually the parents arranged the marriages. What would happen is that the groom would go from his father's house to the home of the bride-to-be, and uh, he would make a proposal. He would begin by pouring wine into a cup, and he would offer it to the bride-to-be. If she drank from the cup, She was accepting the proposal, and then he would pay a purchase price. They would be betrothed, a legally binding contract, broken only by a formal process. So the groom would then go back to his father's house, and you know, up to 12 months, he would be there preparing living accommodations. Mary and Joseph would have lived apart. They would have been referring to each other as husband and wife. But to have sexual relations during that period was considered immoral. Sexual infidelity was grounds for divorce. So what has happened here? Joseph and Mary have been apart, and suddenly Mary is pregnant. You can imagine Joseph's dilemma, right? Have you ever been in a situation where someone you love has behaved in a certain way that it has generated stress in your family? Your personal honor is at stake. The honor of your family is at stake. That is stress. Joseph, what's his plan? He plans to divorce her quietly. The law of Moses allowed for a private divorce before two witnesses. And so he believes that he can maintain his own personal honor and at the same time show compassion to Mary. That's his intent. So I think there's a principle here for us. How do we make good decisions under stress? Well, number one, in light of what you know, seek to be honorable and show compassion. Seek to be honorable and show compassion, even under stress. Matthew's first readers, the Jewish Christians that received this gospel, they would have readily understood Joseph's intentions. They would have had questions about Mary. What's going on with Mary? Thankfully, God graciously intervenes. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
Now again, for the first readers of this gospel, the Jewish Christians, the, the appearance of an angel would have required no explanation. They were steeped in the Old Testament, God speaking through dreams, God speaking through the appearance of, of, of angels. That's laced through the Old Testament. They would have understood. Do we believe that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, continues to speak today? That he, by his spirit, guides us through the written word, the authoritative word of God. That God does speak to us through dreams and visions. That God does speak to us through inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. That God does speak through our brothers and sisters in Christ, through circumstances. Do we believe that the God who is sovereign over all things is speaking to us today? When under stress, allow divine guidance to shape your decisions. Allow divine guidance, the guidance that God gives you, allow it to shape your decision. Here are a few modern-day examples of divine guidance. When Judy and I got married, we decided to wait to have children. Our plan was that we would wait for six years. We were studying, and then we moved to Brazil. So after that six-year period, we wanted to have children. We thought that the time had come. We tried for two years, but Judy was not getting pregnant, so we started to think about adoption. And one night I had a dream, and in the dream, Judy was expecting, and I woke up from that dream just filled with joy and peace, and I just knew that God had given me the dream. One month later, she was expecting, expecting our oldest daughter, Ashley Marie. We named her Ashley Marie because Marie is Judy's second name, Mary is my mother's name, and Mary is also the name of the mother of Jesus. So we covered all of our bases with one name, Marie. Last Sunday afternoon, uh, my parents uh, attended the Christmas special. My father is 91, my mother is almost 90, and when uh, our choir and all those that, there were a lot of people on stage here, when we were singing the Hallelujah Chorus, My dad, he felt like he had gone to heaven. And uh, my oldest brother went to get my mom's walker. Um, But he grabbed the wrong one. It's my oldest brother. He does everything wrong. (laughs) Forgive me, Norm, wherever you are, forgive me. Um, He grabbed the walker of Winnie Yan. And uh, Winnie Ann, she attends our church. So in the kerfuffle, they sorted things out and, uh, you know, had some good conversation with Eddie and Winnie this week. I want to tell you a bit of their story. Winnie Ann, she's had a number of bouts with cancer, and this last May, uh, her cancer uh, came back, recurred. On the day that Eddie and Winnie received the news that uh, Winnie's cancer had returned, God gave Eddie a dream. And this is what the Lord said to him. I quote Eddie here. One, God asked me, how strong is your faith? Two, he told me he would use Winnie and I to bring those people with whom we had previously shared our testimony even closer to him. Three, God named four of our close family members and told me that they would come to Christ. I woke up and told Winnie about it. We both weren't sure if it was a dream from God or just a random dream of my own. So hold the tension. We'll come back to it. Just keep listening. For now, let's return to the story of Joseph. 
What's the angel's message to him? The message is that Mary's pregnancy is not the fruit of adultery. The message is that it's an act of the Holy Spirit, the source of all life. So Jesus is not only the son of Abraham and the son of David, but he is God's son. And when Jesus gets baptized, the Father will open the heavens and say, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. God's son. Can we today, in our post-Christian, post-modern world, can we believe in the miraculous conception of Jesus? Well, it's a question of worldview. It's just a question of how we see things. If we truly believe in the Creator from whom and through Him are all things, then the miraculous conception of Jesus is an effortless matter. That's the miracle of the Incarnation. God fully human. Jesus, fully God, fully human. It should always fill us with wonder and awe. The angel gives Joseph a a clear directive. You shall call his name Jesus. By naming him, Joseph will accept Jesus as his own son. He will recognize that he is Jesus' legal father. Why the name Jesus? Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua. It's the shortened version of Joshua. What does it mean? Jesus means Yahweh, the God of Israel, saves So every time we say the name Jesus, we're saying Yahweh saves. Jesus was a common name in first century Israel. Uh, Parents, Jewish parents would name their sons Jesus as a symbol of hope that the Messiah would come. In Latin America, in many places, Jesus continues to be a common name. I remember watching a soccer game and Jesus was playing goalie. So it puts the other team at a significant disadvantage if Jesus is making the saves. (laughs) The Jews, they hoped for something much greater. They were hoping that the Messiah would come and deliver them from Roman oppression. But the text that we just read, the angel's words, actually speak to something much more basic, much more core to our human condition. What does the angel say? He will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, he will die as a ransom for many, Matthew will write, to save his people from their sins. What's meant by sins? That's a word that we don't use too much, you know, in our modern, postmodern culture, sins. Well, according to the scriptures, we are born in sin. We are all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's our human condition. We are born separated from God. We are born actually spiritually dead. And we do things, we say things, we think things, we have heart desires that do not reflect the holiness, the glory of God. Our, our actions, our words, they reflect our separation from God our opposition to him, our inability to be like Jesus. Jesus will save his people from their sins. This was a repeated promise in the Old Testament. One example is Isaiah 53, verse 6, a verse written 700 years before Jesus was born. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all. Jesus is Yahweh saves. That's what he does. With the miraculous conception of the Holy Spirit in Nazareth, 
Something totally new is happening in human history. It's a new page in human history. It's a new page, but Joseph, in his circumstance, he faces a really difficult choice. For us reading the text today, we might say, well, just a natural choice. No, it's a difficult choice. But he believes that God has communicated to him, and it directs the decision that he makes. For Joseph to heed the angel's message, it'll mean risking his own honor, risking the honor of Mary, risking the honor of his very own son. Later, Jesus is speaking to the Jewish crowds, and the crowds say to him, who are you to speak to us? This is John 8, 41. We were not born out of sexual immorality. Who are you? You see, when making a difficult choice under stress, we need to acknowledge the risk and place our faith in God. When under stress, acknowledge the risk and place your faith in God. The questions of Matthew's first readers would have been, well, why does God do it this way? Is there anything in the Old Testament that would lead us, that would su- to, to, to accept this? To, that, is there anything in the Old Testament that supports what's happening in the lives of Joseph and Mary? Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he reminds his readers of an Old Testament prophetic word, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We find it in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. How does that quotation point to Jesus? Well, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 7, in the context, it's the time of the divided kingdom. Israel and Judah are separate. And Judah is under attack. There's a coalition. Syria and the northern kingdom, Israel, are in a coalition, and they are attacking Judah. They're on the doorsteps of Jerusalem. And King Ahaz, the king of the kingdom of Judah, is shaking in his royal sandals. He is stressed out. King Ahaz, he decides to place his faith in the world's superpower of that day, Assyria, rather than trust in God. Puts his trust in salvation, for for salvation in human power, rather than trusting in the God of Israel. God graciously comes to Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah and speaks to him. God sees the situation from a completely different perspective. He believes that a completely different course of action can be taken. And so graciously, he speaks to King Ahaz through the prophet Isaiah. He affirms that he's present to deliver, and he says this. I quote from Isaiah 7. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint. Stand firm in your faith. God says very clearly, these attacking forces can actually easily be defeated. Just trust me. God encourages King Ahaz to ask for a sign. And what does King Ahaz do? He says something that sounds really spiritual. He says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Those words actually mask his lack of faith. He would rather trust Assyria than trust Yahweh, the God of Israel. Do we ever say things that sound spiritual but actually mask our lack of trust in God? 
When making decisions under stress, let's allow God's communication to transform our stress into expectation. Allow God's communication with you, God's word to you, to transform your stress into expectation. When we believe that we've actually heard from God, it changes everything. Then we are waiting on God to act. Remember the words of Eddie in his dream. Let's come back to Eddie's dream. I'll quote him again. God told me he would use Winnie and I to bring those people with whom we had previously shared our testimony even closer to him. God named four of our close family members and told me that they would come to Christ. Eddie continues writing, God's amazing. Within 24 hours, my father-in-law, an ex-Buddhist teacher, who was one of the four named by God in the dream, told me out of the blue that he was ready to accept Christ. I believe they were just driving along, and his father-in-law turned to him and said, Eddie, I want to become a Christian. I've been a staunch Buddhist his whole life. Then in the following month and a half, the other three, named by God in my dream, also came to Christ one after another. God's word to us transforms our stress into expectation. We're waiting for God to work. At the Christmas special, Eddie and Winnie had 42 friends with them that they had invited. 37 of them are not yet followers of Jesus. That's living with expectation. (laughs) Right? That's believing that God is going to actually do something in our day. Act. That the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is the God of today. He has not changed. He's present to move. Jesus continues to be Yahweh saves. Returning to King Ahaz. So King Ahaz is there in the kingdom of Judah, on his own, completely unable to change the situation. His army is much weaker than the Syria-Israel coalition. He knows that. But he has received a word from God. God himself has spoken to him through the prophet Isaiah. Don't worry, the forces can easily be defeated. But he chooses to place his trust in Assyria. And in response, God says, the royal house of Ahaz has wearied me with their faithlessness. But I, the Lord, will give you a sign. That's God's grace. The famous promise of Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What's happening? What does it mean? The word virgin. Some people dispute the meaning of the word virgin there, but in the Greek Old Testament, the word used, it is always a young, unmarried woman who is virgin. And in the Hebrew as well, the word that is used in the Hebrew Old Testament means a young, unmarried woman, and in almost all cases, it means a virgin. God is clearly communicating that a virgin will give birth to a son. The name of the child... Emmanuel, that's the message of the sign. Emmanuel, Matthew translates it, God with us. The prophetic word, it builds on the promise that was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that his kingdom would endure. Now, during the times of King Ahaz, Israel and Judah will come under divine judgment. The Davidic dynasty will lose the throne 
both Judah and Israel will go into exile. But in the future, after the Davidic dynasty has lost the throne, there will be an ultimate, complete, final fulfillment in the birth of the Son, Emmanuel, God with us. And as Isaiah prophesies in chapter 9, he will appear in Galilee. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So 700 years after the prophecy of Isaiah, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, grows up in Nazareth, begins his ministry in Galilee. Again, in chapter 9, verse 6, we read, prophecy through Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it. The only one worthy of those titles in those verses is Jesus. Only him. It reminds us of John chapter 1, verse 14, where we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. As we have seen His glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God with us. It's affirmed again in the Great Commission when Jesus sends out His disciples. He says to them, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, Jesus is quoted, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus always with us in every age, every situation, every location. Jesus will always be God with us. Now, this Christmas season, can we say with all our hearts, Emmanuel, God with us, God with you, God with me. In, in Matthew's quotation of Isaiah 7.14, he changes one word. If you go back to Isaiah, the understanding would be that the mother, Mary, she shall call his name Emmanuel. But Matthew writes, they shall call his name Emmanuel. Who is they? Well, they is those who come to trust in Jesus. Those who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, they experience Emmanuel, God with them. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. There is no greater blessing than God being among us. And by the Holy Spirit, not only among, but in. And you cannot get any closer than in. God with us in every moment. That changes the meaning of every situation. So when under stress, allow Emmanuel to transform the meaning of every situation. Because he can Returning to Eddie's testimony, I'll quote him. Eddie writes, A few years ago, I was a church-going Catholic. I attended Sunday Masses very religiously, but I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus and did not read the Bible. At that time, my wife Winnie already was a follower of Jesus. I felt quite annoyed that she would spend more time on Bible studies and serving God than on real work. She prayed for me daily. In 2014, Winnie was diagnosed with cancer and God began to answer her prayers. The two of us knelt down before God for the very first time. But I have to be honest, 
I started praying and reading the Bible more for Winnie's healing than anything else. The first round of our cancer journey was, went relatively smoothly. As Winnie became well, we quickly resumed our normal activities, working, traveling around the world. God was definitely not at the center of my life. Winnie began to pray that I would truly desire God. Then God answered again. In 2017, at around the same time we started coming to Willingdon Church and calling it home here, Winnie's cancer recurred. For almost four months, Winnie was in a state of relentless pain and depression. It was during this very challenging period that we experienced God's presence daily. He also sent people to our home to mentor us personally through Bible studies and our life group. Then on November 27th, 2017, God spoke to Winnie in an audible voice, and she is holding on to the promise. On that day, Winnie's unresolved pain and depression suddenly disappeared. Seeing all that, I finally came to God wholeheartedly, calling him my Lord, my Savior. We started going out daily, sharing our testimony and the gospel with people. Eddie continues, we have faced countless challenges since the relapse of Winnie's cancer in May of this year. But every single time, no matter how big and fierce the battle, God is always there to fight on our behalf and carry us through. The battle is his. We will keep on praising and trusting. People always wonder why we're so happy even in our situation. Our answer is clear. Because God is faithful. His not love never fails us. And he is always with us. Allow Emmanuel, God with you, to transform the meaning of every situation in your life, no matter how wonderful or difficult. How does Joseph respond to the word of God to him. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph believes that he has heard from God. And so he trusts God. He accepts Mary as his wife, marries her, takes that risk. He names his son, Jesus. He assumes responsibility for Jesus. Ultimately, our choices depend on our trust in God. The commitments that we make depend ultimately on our trust in God. So when under stress, choose to trust Jesus because of who he is, Emmanuel, God with us. Choose to trust Jesus because of what only he can do. Jesus, Yahweh saves. You see, the meaning of every situation can be changed because of Jesus. His presence changes the meaning of all of life. So as disciples of Jesus, we have received Jesus as Savior and Lord. We declare Jesus to be our Savior. We have surrendered our lives to Jesus. We have received forgiveness of sin. Jesus has gifted us with eternal life. He has sent his Holy Spirit to abide with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us, come what may. Hallelujah. That's why we enter the Christmas season full of confidence and joy, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. 
And if you have never surrendered your heart to Jesus, then listen to the words of the Gospel of John. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so Jesus, the one who saves, he is present. He is inviting you. He invites you to know him. He came out of love that you might be saved from your sin, that you might be gifted with eternal life. He did for you what you could never do for yourself. He took your sin upon himself on the cross, cross, paid the price for our sin, and opened the way for us to know our Heavenly Father. And when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we humble ourselves before him and repent for our sin, Jesus saves us and sends his Spirit to live in us and fill our hearts with love, with the peace that only he can give, with a joy that comes only from him, a love for God and a love for the people around us. And so if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus, Jesus invites you to open your heart to him. Let's stand for prayer. We're going to uh, continue in worship in a moment, and so let's just stay, and we'll go into a time of prayer. I just want to pray for those of you who have maybe never invited Jesus into your life. You can follow my prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I acknowledge today, Lord, that I am a sinner, that I desperately need you. I repent, I turn from my sin, and I turn to you, Jesus. I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. And I ask that you forgive my sin. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to abide in me, to live in me. Strengthen me, Lord. Encourage me. I want to follow you. I depend on you to help me. I thank you, Father, that I'm a member of your family now. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Thank you for gifting me with eternal life. Oh, God, do your work in me. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, you can come forward for prayer. You can go to the prayer center. We would love to pray with you and encourage you. All of us are experiencing some measure of joy and some measure of stress today. So we're going to go into a time of prayer. Let's, uh, Sam, lead us in worship.